We've got a lot to open up this week. Monday, March 13, just baseball show. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton. Arm was just at the DR in Venezuela over the weekend, which looks like an environment that that surpasses most in baseball history. So I got to get his take on that. We're going to talk about Corbin Carroll's eight-year, $111 million extension. There were two arms that looked really good in spring training yesterday. Uh, But before all that... We always give you like five minutes of non-baseball conversation, so I'm going to make arms suck it up again. By the way, uh, Friday's non-baseball conversation was about you not liking food, which like whatever, like whatever floats your boat, man. Okay, okay. That was was such bullshit. That's not liking food and not placing uh, an insane emphasis on like every little bite and taste and and cost uh, is a little different. That's all I'm going to say. I can, so, I can survive off of the cheap breakfast sandwich, like eighty percent of my meals, and and like that. That was basically the point I was making, which has now evolved into I don't like food, which is like makes me sound like a serial killer. Well, you are, <laughs> you yeah, are kind of a fair. psycho. So yeah, I mean, like I understand where you're coming from, but also, like I understand why really good meals cost more money, and I'm willing to do that because my you know, level of, like my serotonin levels climb with that's that. fair. I, I, and there's meals I love. I have a, I really enjoy it. It's just like, there's never a tug for me. I will say though, like it just kind of goes in the same bucket as like the, the, the wine snobs, like food snobs just bother me. I can't tell. The I've never sent the food back in my life. That that's, that's like a great barometer. I've oh. never in my life sent the food back. I'd bite the bullet if I had to, if it was same. like total shit. Same. I will request a refund from like Chipotle if they screw my order up that bad. No, that's but I've fair. never that's sent different. the food back. If it's yes. like, I this is a little overcooked. I need you to start from scratch. Right. I never do that. So I'm with you there. Um, we also got another text regarding Culver's and In and Out. Man, this argument has legs. Thank it's God. Crazy. Thank God we're getting this sh- getting this shit over. With. Well, speaking of, you're coming down for the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about that. That was one of the best experiences I've had on, on a baseball field. Uh, or just around a baseball field in a long time. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll unpack more on that later because there's some sentimental like aspects to it too that were really special. I'd love to to, to talk about, but for sure. Um, yeah, this is a really really good time because I feel like you got to get through February. I've always joked that I'm gonna get married in February because it's the worst sports month there is once the Super Bowl is over. But now right. it feels like things are picking up, and you know, we as we're recording this Selection Sunday uh, is just kind of finished up and everybody's getting ready to, to make their brackets, which is also maybe one of the most fun things on the sports calendar. So we have a tool for you. If you have yet to make your bracket that you may not know about and the just baseball network is expanding a little bit. We've had just basketball kicking for a little bit with Chris Manning and Brendan clean who do great work. Uh, Brendan is with the Suns, Like he's in the Phoenix area. Chris Manning is in the Cleveland area. He covers the Cavs better than pretty much anybody. And they do the Just Basketball show. We also just launched Just College Hoops. 
And perfect timing because their first couple episodes dropped right before the conference tournaments. And now they're going to get going here with as much March Madness content and as much of a cheat sheet to filling out your bracket as you can find. And I know that you're going to Google like, hey, best bets in the bracket. They're going to do that for you. And they're really entertaining. Tim Tim Leonard, who is like a great friend of ours from Syracuse. I did all the the play-by-play stuff with him. He's doing play-by-play stuff at Syracuse right now. So he just saw the Jim Beheim retirement thing. And it's the Red Autry era, baby. So Tim does great work at Syracuse. And then Brian McLaughlin is the voice of Vermont men's basketball, who is in the field as a 15th seed. So this guy is going to be calling an NCAA tournament game. Those two will be breaking down this bracket Go check out Just College Hoops on the Just Sports Network, and we will link it in the episode description. I just got off the road, so I'm looking at the bracket here for the first time. Do you want to go region by region, like what stands out real quick? We'll go rapid fire, like a minute on each region. Yeah, we'll go real quick so we can uh, get into the baseball talk. But I will say, like again, this is something I'm really excited about this show. Uh, college basketball is probably my second favorite sport, to be honest, like the second favorite thing to watch. And uh, I, I felt like this was a great addition to the network and we're going to continue to to grow that show. Like this is a really good starting point and uh, they nailed the conference tournaments. That's for sure. So I'm a big Miami fan, uh, just just for transparency here. So I, I like I like the draw that my Hurricanes got. Uh, even though I went to Syracuse, just grew up going to, to the U, going to all those games. So I like the draw for the U, uh, and I think I think it's going to be a fun, fun little path for them. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. So I, I've got it here. I'm looking in the South right now. Alabama is the number one overall seed, obviously. If you're following college hoops at all, you know Brandon Miller might be the best college player in America, but he was an accessory to an accessory. He supplied a gun to somebody. Allegedly. That- allegedly supplied a gun sorry thank you for for correcting me that ended up being involved in a, in a murder of of yeah, a young but he woman gets, but he gets, gets to play gets buckets and and that's 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 how it is bro like that's it, unfortunate but that's how it is like i it's unbelievable after that goes and gets like 46 yeah like it's just it, it, it yeah we don't need to go into that but he's obviously playing he's good to go <laughs> Yeah, so I he's going to play. Alabama's a really good team. The 5-12 here is two really good teams in San Diego State and College of Charleston. College of Charleston, one of the two 30-win teams along with Houston. Uh, Virginia, eh, I like Furman in the 13-4. Oh, Does that make any sense? Dry school. Dry school Furman, Furman? over there. Who banged their baseball program. So I, oh, I don't we like, don't like him for that. We don't Beautiful like field, him. too, that's just sitting there rotting away. Very disappointing. Go Hoos. Uh, Arizona is one of my picks to win it all. They've got size out the ass. Their head coach is Tommy Lloyd, who was like the lead recruiter at Gonzaga under Mark Few. He brought Umar Balo, who's like this massive seven-foot guy. Mm-hmm. And then Tubelis is great, too. So they play Princeton. That's my takeaway in the South. Uh, East, Purdue. If you haven't watched Zach Eady, it's not very fun to watch. He's like seven Huge. four, 300 pounds. Huge guy insane so duke and oral roberts is the 512 but how about fau is the nine seed in there owl up baby owl <laughs> up I, we, we've been following the owls all year long my buddies from home uh my mom booker its own resident uh the the I, I saw lane kiffin the other day uh it's just this is this is an owl town we're ready to go how about that uh 611 is kentucky and providence kentucky was pretty underwhelming until late providence is awesome and ed cooley is the man the head coach there um, and then Marquette is the two against Vermont. Love Brian. He's a great podcast host. Go listen. I love Marquette a little bit more. Yeah. Oh no. Marquette's going to crush him. I'm sorry, Brian. Uh, West Kansas is the one seed in the West. 
they kind of felt gypped because the one in the Midwest is Houston. I feel like Houston would have been the one in the South had it not been for Bama. So Kansas going out West kind of sucks. Arkansas, Illinois, that game is going to suck out loud. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. Um, St. Mary's VCU is the five twelve. Rick Pitino against Danny Hurley in the 13-4, Iona and UConn. Uh, And then with Gonzaga on the three line, this is probably the year that they win it all because they're not expected to win it all. 100%. 100%. That's my pick. I'm excited to hear what the college basketball guys have to say about that. I think this is the year of the Zags. I really do. How about that? All right. And then in the Midwest, Houston is the one seed there. They just lost in the American Conference Championship because they were without Marcus Sasser, who is far and away their best player. If he's healthy, they may win it all. If he's not, they'll probably not make it through the first weekend. Uh, You've got the U against Drake. Are you scared of Drake? Not at all. Okay. Uh, You should be scared of the Kent State Golden Flashes in the the second round. Kent State is going to beat Indiana. Shout out Maction. Kent State is wild. Looking forward, uh, looking forward to that cakewalk to the uh, Sweet 16. Yeah, and then shout out Central New York, Colgate as the 15th seed with Texas. All right, enough of college hoops. Tell me about the World Baseball Classic in Miami. Yeah, that was that was one of the coolest uh, environments I've been into. I mean, from from the moment that you get there, right? You see, like the the Dominican Republic guys warming up on the right on the right field side. You've got, you know, Venezuela warming up on the other side. You walk up, you got, you know, Miguel Cabrera just chopping it up with Albert Pujols. And it's just like that in front of me in itself was just like a holy shit, just, you know, like five feet in front of me and just don't couldn't hear what they were saying. But I imagine they're talking about anything. I could listen to that conversation. That could be a podcast every day of just listening to whatever they're talking about. But, you know, I I think what was really awesome was the way you could kind of feel the excitement building as people started to like come in, uh, coming out from like the party outside music out there. Uh, the Dominican Republic showed out strong. I'd say it was probably 70% them, maybe 30% Venezuela. And that's not to slight the Venezuelan fans. They were loud, but you just felt the, the excitement brewing the intros get going. And then by the time first pitch started, there was just a buzz and energy that I've, I've never really felt. And, you know, I know you could joke and say, Oh yeah, well you, you covered the Marlins coming up. Like that was like your first gig. Of course you've never felt that it's beyond that. Honestly, I've been fortunate enough to go to several world series games uh, and, and postseason games and all, all different types of environments. And I don't think I've ever seen a baseball game quite like that one. Even, even going to a, a definitive game six uh, in the world series where it was win or, or go home. I, I don't know if I necessarily had the same feeling of the fans hanging on every pitch. Uh, and, and maybe it's more of an international fan thing. Uh, maybe it's more of of the the rivalry that comes with, you know, my country versus yours, who's the better talent factory. Maybe it's a culmination of things. Uh, but there was something about that environment that was different than anything I've I've ever really seen. And and mind you, this was slow. Like this game was was not fast. These World Baseball Classic games are not by the the new rules, which is how it should be. But um, all I was thinking was I was like, man, you know, you're seeing all this excitement and what this is building up for baseball, and then we're going to parlay that right into a season where I think it's going to be the most watchable baseball we've seen in in ten years. So uh, I, I'm really excited, but I thought I thought this was one of the most special environments I've ever been to. And uh, it, growing up, going to these was was a, a blast for me. My dad used to take me. Um, and, and I fell in love with the tournament then, you know, at the old football stadium in Miami, going to those, um, and, and to go back there now, I, I, quote unquote, working with a credential, 
uh, as I'm not, unfortunately, and not not able to go with my dad anymore. It was it was a pretty special and pretty surreal uh, opportunity. And I was it was cool to start it off with such a banger of a game like that one. I'm sure. And I'm sure that it brought up some of those memories that made you love baseball again, mm-hmm. because I, I know you love baseball. But thinking about something as near and dear to you as your dad, who like introduced you to this game, that had to feel, I I don't know, like, was that more emotion around a baseball field that you felt in years? I mean, yeah, man, I I think just like walking, you know, I I go into auto, I mean, you think you can kind of tell like what what kind of guys we are now and like what our tendencies are. And of course, I feel like I'm an emotional guy, but I, I feel like I do like, I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. Like I, I keep them all inside. Yeah. Uh, and I t- I'm telling you, man, if you had a, a camera on me when I walked out, you know, out of the tunnel straight into the field when they were taking batting practice and I see, you know, the DR jerseys and I see the Venezuela jerseys and I see all of the players that, you know, we talk about on a daily basis here in this setting. Um, I, I had the flashback of walking up, you know, down the seats with my dad. And this time I'm walking up through a tunnel and I was smiling ear to ear. I could feel it. And I'm like, you know, I just just in like, a, I can't believe I'm doing this kind of thing. But also it's, it just shows you the importance of the tournament, man. Like, I, again, going and covering, you know, the All-Star game or, or whatever notable event, super cool. But there was something special about this that just I, I can't quite put it into words. And and for those who may not have watched the World Baseball Classic yet, um, I, I really encourage you to. I, I will say like some of the other games can get a little flat. You know, the Great Britain versus Canada. I was laboring through that a little bit today. Watch for the prospects. Watch to see how Harry Ford and Bo Naylor were receiving. I, I swear. I uh, but like other than that, like it was pretty boring. Um, I you know, it, there's something special about these DR. Uh, you know, Venezuela, even Team Israel, USA, like th- those kind of matchups. Well, guess what's going on right now. Top one, Venezuela up 4 nothing on Puerto Rico. They're taking it to Jose Barrios. Three-run homer from Santander. So he's locked, in. he's locked in. Venezuela did get the win over the DR, which is an upset, even though those could be the two best teams, not just in that pool, like maybe in the World Baseball Classic. We talk about Japan. We talk about the States. Venezuela is sneaky loaded. They're the most underrated team, and they're fourth. Yeah, you know what's funny, man? You know what the sense I got in the post-game presser? Because it was a post-game presser. It was Santander. It was Martin Perez, who threw fantastic, by yeah. the way. Uh, that guy just knows how to pitch. It's just that simple. Um, and and David Peralta was there. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, like, are these guys superstars? No. But these guys are Major League Baseball players and damn good ones with, you know, I, two of them have more than a decade of service time. Another one, you know, in Santander will very soon. Yeah. These guys don't give a shit if, if the other if the Dominican Republic has more all stars. They, they think that they and they they feel like they are on the same playing field as them, and that's kind of what they said. Again, it was it was mostly in Spanish, so I was you know really testing my my Spanish skills there. But I, I did feel pretty confident in at least understanding a lot of what they were saying. Yeah, and from the lens of of what they were saying was. Look, we face these guys all the time. You know, do we face them all on the same team? No, but like, look at the Dodgers, look at the Padres. Like, we do face some lineups that look a lot like this. Um, We feel like we're right there with them. And when you look at the Venezuelan lineup, like they've got their own stars. But I think the big difference is if you have major leaguers top to bottom, which Venezuela does, like you're not faced. I think where it becomes a bit more like 
David versus Goliath. Is when is Harry when, Ford is your best player. <laughs> yes, correct. When you got Harry Ford coming in, or you've got the guy that's been playing in the Mexican league for like six years, has been out of affiliated baseball. That's your first or second reliever. Like for Venezuela, man, they close the game out with Jose Alvarado. Like I, I understand that the lineup's not like big name, big name, big name, big name, but it's all major league names. And that's that's what's amazing about baseball, man. That's all you need is is just a, a good team and you can beat anyone on any given day. And then this Venezuela team, they want it, man. You see them coming out of the dugout on every play, waving everybody home. Salvi's running out there in his full catcher's gear. Like it was just super special. And, and I think it's going to be one of those things where you can't predict who's going to win. And God bless Peter trying to handicap this thing. He even <laughs> has said it's impossible. We we've we're gonna have so much coverage of the World Baseball Classic coming at the end of this week over the weekend through the championship. Again, me, Aram, Peter, and Will Cohen, our dynamite videographer and editor, is gonna be down there as well. Um, so we we are gonna be pumping out content. Two more quick questions for you. You were at the World Series in 2021. What got louder, the DR in Venezuela or the World Series? I don't think it's necessarily close. It was the DR in, in Venezuela. And, and also the game I was at in Houston, I'm fairly positive the, the roof was closed. Um, yeah. So I, I believe. So it, it, in that case too, like it's it's still echoey. Like that was the one thing that the stadium did have working in, in its favor is that the roof was closed. So it, it definitely was a bit of an echo chamber. But man, there was a couple plays where it was so loud, even in the press box. Like it was, it was almost like, piercingly loud um and and i think like one of the the acuna double plays with sandy rolling it that was one that it was like they were cheering for five minutes almost it was i've never heard anything like it yeah last one was that crowd and that energy an indictment on the miami marlins i think a lot of people traveled in to see it so i don't think that that is the marlins fan base that is all of a sudden a dr fan or a venezuelan fan um we know miami is heavily cuban um, so, you know, Hey, there may be some like Dominican people coming up for this. That's not the same crowd, but knowing that that place can fill up, knowing that that place can get raucous. I don't know. Does it just intensify the feeling about the lethargy in, in Lone Depot? Yes, that yes. Um, you know, again, I I've never really seen it like that. I've never seen the press box like that. I've never seen a media scrum like that. Like when I've covered Marlins game, but it's a it's, unique I, event. Like it's not a but, Marlins game. But that said, like, I do see people saying like, oh, 35,000. That was the reported attendance when I was there. Um, you know, this is what the Marlins would be if they win. I don't know about that, man. Like, there's a reason why this event's in, in Miami. It's very easy for a lot of these people to get to if you live in the DR, if you live in Puerto Rico, if you live in Cuba. And, and even if you don't, if you're from, if you live here currently, like, it's so expensive to get to the ballpark. No one's going to, not a lot of people are, are willing to pay that. This is a special event where you're willing to bite the bullet, pay the 150 ahead and, and do what you got to do. Um, I do think it's an indictment on the Marlins and the fact that like there is baseball interest. And if the team is good, pe- more people will show up. Um, and, and I think you can see that because uh, there's no really other environment where, where it's that packed for the WBC unless you go to Japan like right. or, or where some of these other games are. So, you know, I, I, I definitely I definitely feel like this is uh, something that is a reminder when you triple the average attendance for a, a, an event like this for the of the Miami Marlins. It's, it's a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Corbin Carroll, eight years, one hundred and eleven million dollars with a club option for $28 million in 2031. 
2031 feels like a really long time away. I don't want to think about 2031. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't want to think about 2031 either. But the Diamondbacks, one year removed from locking up Ketel Marte long-term, decide to shove $111 million in the face of just baseball's number one overall prospect that has played 32 major league games. Yep. Yeah. I like it. And I think we like it for very similar reasons. Um, the reason you pick Carroll over Henderson, I think is very telling as to why we like this deal so much. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause I always talked about how hard that was to kind of like figure out floor versus ceiling. How are we stacking these guys up against each other? And uh, it was, it was a really tough process you know, in the last top 100 list and, and this updated one, with, which will also for 2023, which will also feature Corbin Carroll at number one, uh, you see most of us have Gunner. And I think that's because he's probably the safest bet with, with just, you know, what he does with the bat. Um, and and I think just how polished he is. Uh, but Corbin obviously polished in his own right. I, I just think when you when you make a deal like this for Corbin Carroll, like you look at Gunner, he has to hit for him to be a productive and valuable baseball player. And while he has good complementary tools, he has to hit to be a productive baseball player. Corbin Carroll, if he's a 100 WRC plus guy for his entire career, which would be a massive disappointment given his talent, he is still going to be a very good player for a long time. And, and, and I know that on the back end of that deal, they'd probably be like, yeah, this kind of sucks that they're paying, you know, a 28 year old, $28 million to, you know, probably produce, a two and a half, three F four, which is probably what Corbin Carroll would do with a 100 WRC plus. But you, you feel like you've seen enough to at least come away with him at very least being a league at a slightly above average hitter, a slightly above league average hitter. So if he is that with all of the other tools he has, you feel really good about that. On top of that, his ceiling is is off the charts, and this could end up being one of the steals of steals. Um, so I, I think this was a great deal for the Diamondbacks. Risky, sure, but you look at the next five plus years. They're paying him one million this year. They're paying him three million next year. Five million in twenty twenty five. Ten million in twenty twenty six. Twelve million after that. Fourteen, twenty eight, twenty eight, and then the option for twenty eight. So I can promise that even on the if Corbin is on the lower end. Even the fourteen million dollar deal, like you're you're gonna get good value for that. I mean, that's 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 a that's a bargain. Uh, the only question will be if he doesn't fully pan out the twenty eight million dollars those two years. But I don't think they're gonna have to worry about that. I don't think so either. He's still gonna be in his twenties in terms of age. Uh, and Carol, like, I don't know, man. There's something about his floor. And you say that Gunner may be the safe one because his bat is so good. But with Carroll, I don't think it's even close. Like if Gunner, and I don't want to use Christian Yelich as, I guess I am going to use Christian Yelich as an example, but that guy was a flawless hitter. And then all of a sudden his lower back goes out and he's a one and a half win player, a two win player. Yeah. Because he's a league average hitter. That's Gunner if he gets hurt. With Carroll... Even if he gets hurt and he is a 100 WRC plus guy, he is an elite defensive outfielder. He can swipe a ton of bags. Again, if he gets hurt, that may be altered, but he's going to walk. Like Gunner's going to walk, Carroll's going to walk, and he's faster, and he's a better defender. So I feel better about if shit hits the fan with Corbin Carroll. And you're right. Like the ceiling is best player in baseball for Carroll. The ceiling for Gunner is a top five hitter in baseball. Yes. And I think to to kind of 
like I think you're right on. That's exactly what I'm what I'm trying to to verbalize. And I think that the the best way to break it down is like Corbin Carroll's profile is higher floor in terms of just like a higher floor value of what you're going to get. Gunner's bat is is really really safe. But again, like that. If, if he doesn't hit, it's going to be really hard to be a productive baseball player. And I always love looking at prospects where it's like, okay, if he doesn't hit as much, how productive is he going to be? Or how valuable is he going to be? If he slows down a little bit, how valuable is he going to be? And Foreman Carroll, if you take away one of the tools, if he doesn't hit for as much power, if he slows down a little bit, like if you do, if one of those things happens, he's still really damn good. So I yeah. think that makes you feel pretty good about you know, the possible outcomes and, and the, the odds of him being a successful major league baseball player. And that's why he's the number one prospect for us at 22 years old. And uh, I think the Diamondbacks got great value here, but on Corbin's side, he guarantees himself a hundred million. And then he's going to hit free agency uh, potentially at 30 years old and probably get another bag. So uh, he, he comes out pretty well with this one. And to this type of deal, you and I both say more, please. Like we saw Jeff Passan report that Curtis Mead was an extension candidate for the Rays before he makes his major league debut. More of this. Yes. If you have this guy, don't have him resent you right away because you're handing him a check for $720,000. It's a lot of money. Yes. Major league baseball players and top prospects understand that they can manipulate your financial earnings by keeping you as broke as possible until you hit free agency. The goal of every major league baseball player is to accrue six years of service time. Everybody's goal is to accrue six. Um, You're kind of screwed, relatively speaking. Like, obviously, these guys can afford homes and nice cars on the league minimum. But relatively speaking, even if you are one of the best players in baseball, you are financially being screwed relatively to the rest of Major League Baseball until you hit free agency. Here, you're almost like buying their affection right away. Mm -hmm. Corbin Carroll, I guarantee you, is exponentially more interested in re-signing with the Arizona Diamondbacks when this thing is up than if they just ran through the the third year of arbitration, he hits the market, and Arizona's like, wait, we want you back. 100%. Absolutely, 100%. And what is also interesting is, is, you know, I think this was really a sign of – the, the direction of the Diamondbacks that we're, we're looking to be competitive soon. And we think we're going to be good for a long time with the core that we have. So here's our first step. Let's lock up one of the key pieces of, of our future um, at, at an affordable rate so we can do more moving forward. And, and I don't think that it will be a surprise to anybody if the Diamondbacks are players in free agency a year or two from now. I do believe that they really were interested in Xander Bogarts, and I appreciate them not forcing the issue there. I think now with knowing that you have Corbin Carroll locked up for cheap for the next decade almost, and you've got you know a lot of other pieces that you have control of now, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them dish out some long-term deals next offseason. And I think baseball is going to be in a good spot in Arizona moving forward. This was a great gesture to the fans i think from the franchise it was a great gesture to their potential face of the franchise and i think it's a great indication of where this organization is headed yeah 100 percent. all right three pitchers that i want to talk about that threw in spring training yesterday let's start with jared schuster with the atlanta braves because i think atlanta and brian snitker just solved the five starter debate yeah it should be schuster Mike Soroka was set back by a hamstring pull. 
and he's going to throw another side session this week. He may throw to live hitters this week, according to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic. So Soroka, I mean, this dude is going on two and a half years removed from his last major league outing. You can't count on him to be the five. Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder are the options right now. Schuster just went three per, or sorry, he went three of one hit ball. The only hit was a homer to Brian Reynolds, but he set down what 12 of the 13 guys that he saw. Yep. I mean, Schuster's been throwing so well this spring. He's a quick worker. He's got prospect pedigree. Yeah. He the threw pitch really clock well will in double not, triple. Pitch clock will not be affecting this guy. No. Schuster he, he will outpace like the guy. The, he will outpace the pitch clock, first of all. Uh, I think he's the guy. And sorry for speaking over you there. I I, I think he's the guy. I you've you kind of started to point this out earlier. I think you were kind of first on this of like, oh, like let's watch Schuster here. Like he's starting to turn some heads. And you know, I, I liked him as a depth arm. You know, I definitely thought that he was a candidate to, you know, plug in and spot start and, you know, maybe show it as he refines his command. And he's always had great command, but I felt like he had to kind of be perfect or close to it to be successful because of his stuff. Uh, And that was why I was like, hey, he could be that Braxton Garrett type like like the Marlins have. Uh, But I think he's kind of taken his game to another level now. Fastball, and we'll see if it sustains because, remember, these are more two, three-inning outings. But so far in these three-inning outings, his fastball has been a full tick up. And that's always big for anybody, but it's even bigger for a change-up guy. And that's his best pitch, right? His change-up's his best pitch. So to see Schuster's fastball a tick up, and have him work in the changeup off of it from his arm slot. Uh, and I think he's also improved his slider from what I've seen. You know, I, you mentioned you wanted to talk about him. So I did go back and watch some of the extra pitches and stuff like that. Slider looks sharper than it's been in the past. And I'd imagine that, you know, Jared Schuster knew, hey, I got I got to sharpen that thing up. It's got to at least be an average pitch to, to be competitive at the big league level. So you improve the slider, fastball ticks up. Why can't this guy be a four starter, you know, at the big league level? He was really good in the minors and they only need him to be five. So I think he's the guy and I think he's ready. He's 24. I think he's ready to go. So if I'm not mistaken, the Brian Reynolds homer second or a fourth inning, one out Reynolds, I think was just sitting change up, got one and hit it to the stratosphere. Going to happen. Not much that you can do about that, especially with a guy like Brian Reynolds, but Schuster so far this spring, Three appearances, eight and two-thirds, two hits, including that homer. That's his only earned run allowed. Nine punch-outs, one walk. Eight and two-thirds. Shoved. Shoved against the Sox, too. And I know he's he's a he's a Northeast kid. I think he's a Massachusetts-area kid. Yeah. Um, that was the one that I saw, the outing that I saw where I was like, whoa. Fastball was jumping. I'd never seen him get that many high whiffs. I'm 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 very in on Schuster being the five for them. And I think they knew this. I really do think they knew this was coming, which is why we saw them trade Kyle Muller and Freddie Tarnock. Both those guys are shipped out. I promise that the A's had interest in Schuster. I promise they did. I feel like the Braves, and this is speculation, I have nothing on this, but I feel like the Braves may have said, hey, we'd rather trade you Muller and Tarnock then Schuster, uh, because here he is performing the way he is and not on Oakland as part of that Sean Murphy package. And you take Schuster out of the equation right now. If the Braves are seven deep, Max Fried's a lefty, Kyle Wright, Charlie Morton, Spencer Strider, Ian Anderson, Bryce Elder, Mike Soroka, they're all right-handed. 
Yep. So you've got a second lefty. If we're just playing the numbers right. game, having Freed and Schuster bookending that rotation with Strider, Wright, and Morton in between with Anderson and Elder available to make spot starts and whatever you get from Soroka is bonus, this is a World Series front runner if Schuster right. is right. Correct. And and again, he just needs to be a five. If he has a low four ZRA, you're happy with that, I think. Yes, very happy with that. Michael Kopech, you want more from. He had a 3-5 last year, limited time. Kopech was hurt all offseason. He comes back. Kopech throws three perfect innings and tops at 98 with the fastball in a 1-1 tie with the Angels today. Kopech, just one punch out in those three innings, but nine up, nine down in your first spring appearance, and that's the most velo we've seen from him since he was a swingman. If he's good, that unlocks a new level to the White Sox. They they need him to be good. Need him to be good. Because I feel better about him being good than uh, Lance Giolito? or Clevenger or Giolito. Um, yeah, there was points where we look at Kopech and we're like, this this guy looks like what we thought he would be. So what were most of those injuries? Were they lower body stuff or were they arm related over the last were... the... I, I felt like they were lower, lower body, body, right? Like yes. hammy, like that kind of stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Like I'm, I'm hoping because my only concern is we've seen flashes of this. Is is the velo going to taper off as the year goes on? And then we, you know, we see him just kind of limp to the finish line given his injury history. It, 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 he's only 26. Yeah. He had surgery on his right knee ahead of this season. Okay. So that could have been something that was bothering him. That's his driving leg, gets it right. Maybe he's feeling better. I, that's great news. Something to monitor 100%. Last thing, bullpen related, and this will take us into top 15 relievers for the 2023 season. Our penultimate, one of the best words in the English language, our penultimate ranking. We've got top 10 bullpens tomorrow. Peter and I are going to do that. And then we move on to the divisional previews, which will be great. Yes, um, I can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Wait. That's going to be so, so fun. We're almost done. This is our last individual uh, ranking episode. But uh, Ben Joyce threw for the Angels today. What do you do with Ben Joyce? Your honest opinion. Like, he can't really command the fastball right now. It's not like he needs to work on a secondary because you know 105 is going to come if he has it. Does he need more minor league innings to work on fastball command? Or is it, hey, you throw 103 take the ball and go throw innings for the LA angels. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like with Joyce and I think, what was it? It was eight balls, four strikes today. Yeah. Um, His fastball is going to play. Right. I, I feel like you should just start him in triple, especially because of the way, if this was last year, maybe I'd say just fuck it, throw him in the bigs. They, they made some additions to the bullpen. You don't, you don't need to throw Ben Joyce into fight or flight mode. I, I don't think so, but I think it's a really interesting topic because that is a name that, that does get brought up a little bit more frequently. We're going to talk about him on the call up for like re- imminent debuts, you know, yeah. rookies who are, who are going to make debuts. And I think Fangraphs did a good job of compiling a list on, on those guys. I haven't seen it yet, but they always do a good job of, of doing that. I think every year, but I want to just kind of talk about some of those guys out of camp. Ben Joyce as a professional baseball player has thrown more pitches fast, more fastballs, over 100 miles per hour than under 100 miles per hour. Like I know we always talk about pitch shape and I always, I'm a big proponent of, you know, shape is more important than velocity. However, when you throw 102, 103 velocity is can, can take over and that's what he does. So I, I feel like get those mechanics 
just about right and triple and go to the bigs. But if the Angels have a situation kind of like some other teams where they really like what they've got with their pitching coach at the big league level, then maybe bring him in the into the big leagues and let him be, you know, the kind of meaningless innings eater, you know, come in in the fifth of like a, a blow up start, come into the seventh when you're up eight and just have him work on things until he's ready. I think he's the stuff is ready to blow away big league hitters. It's not a matter of guys hitting him. It's a matter of him just walking guys. And it dominated double A last year when he did get into professional baseball, 13 innings, 20 punch outs, four walks. Can't beat that. The four walks is so encouraging in 13 innings. He faced 57 batters. He walked four of them. That's awesome. I wouldn't be shocked if they started him in the big leagues. And and I don't think it would be a mistake either way. So uh, he does. Here's the thing. Whenever he throws a clunker of a fastball, whenever he throws 99 that like zips over somebody's helmet, it's going to go viral because it's super dangerous. It, it's, it's so scary. It's pretty much a weapon. Like that's a bullet coming out of his hand. Could kill somebody. Um, but three innings, he's walked two. It's not like he's walked six in three innings. No, it was so, more today. In, in other spots, he's, I think, you know, go, coming into today was landing his fastball first strike 65% of the time. Yeah. That's fine. That'll play. All right, uh, best MLB relievers for the 2023 season. No honorable mentions because we did 15. Starting with 15, it was one of the best reliever ERAs in the game last year, Evan Phillips with the LA Dodgers. Evan Phillips, 64 appearances. He had a 1-1-4 ERA and a 1-9-4 FIP. 63 innings, punched out 77. That's a 33% K rate. He averaged 96 on his fastball. Evan Phillips was a nomad to start his career. He was Atlanta. Then he was Baltimore. And then it was the Dodgers. And like he was DFA'd a couple times in there. And then all of a sudden he just figured it out. And he was one of the best relievers in baseball a year ago. I it's it's remarkable. I mean, relievers are in today's game. It's so fucked up the whole it's way so this thing up. happens, man. You can't write anybody off. I love it though. I really do because you know, everything could go wrong for you as a starting pitcher and you could find your way as a reliever. I mean, look at Mark Appel. He's even somehow hanging away, hanging around as, as a big league reliever. Uh, Phillips found it with the slider. I mean, that, that was really it, but also the fastball shape. And I don't know if it was something with like, uh, the way that it ticked up velocity wise, shape wise, whatever it was. I don't know if you have like savant in front of you in terms of like the chart of velocity, but the slider data and just the numbers on it, like a 20% swinging strike rate on your slider is comical. Opponents hit 170 against him last year, under 500 OPS off that slider. Like that That's something that I feel like we talk about volatility with relievers. I think Phillips is, is going to be just fine. I, I think he's not going anywhere. I think he figured something out and he's here to stay. So Savant kind of restructured their arsenal for some guys. Uh, it's not a slider anymore for Phillips. It's a sweeper. And he also threw a cutter that he didn't throw in 2021. So that might have been the ad there. I'm not sure uh, what's going on. Oh, in my God. Regard. They call it a sweeper instead yeah, of they a call slider. it a sweeper. Yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty interesting. OK, yeah. They, but they added sweeper for a lot of guys. So now a lot of guys are throwing sweepers instead of sliders. Yeah, every Yankees. It's a Yankees organization thing. Top to and bottom. Apparently Evan Phillips, too. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Phillips. You mentioned the fastball. His fastball opponents at 105 with a 158 slug against it. That's really yeah. interesting. He he found something with the heater too. Uh, the the like look at the numbers against the heater previously. Like something, and maybe it was because of the way that the sweeper set up 
the fastball, uh, but something clicked there. Four seam fastball opponents went from hitting 368 to 103. Yeah. I mean, just just absolutely remarkable stuff there. The one thing I, I can point towards is just pure velocity, at least, right? You look at 2020, he averaged 94 and a half. 2021 averaged 95.4. 2022 averages 96. And spin so, I mean, was up 100 RPMs. Yeah, so I mean, pitch shape was better and velocity was better. Usually, you're going to be in pretty good shape there. Yes. All right, number 14, Camilo Doval with the San Francisco Giants. We thought he was underwhelming. And then we look at the end of year, end of the year, and he's got a two five three ERA yeah. and a sub three FIP. So if that's an underwhelming year, you'll take it. Eighty punch outs in sixty seven and two thirds innings. It's a twenty eight percent K rate. He did walk ten and a half percent of batters, but you throw gas. You limit opponents to hitting two thirteen against you. He sat ninety nine point four with a, a fastball with cutter qualities. Yeah. He's really good, man. And I understand that the Peter Apple buy-in to Camilo Doval. <laughs> yeah. What did you want to call him? The Velociraptor? Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I asked I, him why. And he was like, because he throws like a dinosaur or something. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> really weird. Right. Yeah. And then wondering why it's not catching on. Right. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you can see what why, why Peter loves Camilo Doval. And you can see why Giants fans do, right? I mean. Um, what is interesting is that his cutter was his worst pitch, right? Um, it it kind of got hit at times. So it, I don't know if it's it's about the location there. I think he might have had some some bad batted ball luck if you look at the expected stats. But I am interested to see how he can how that cutter can continue to evolve for him and be a more effective pitch. Uh, I think I think obviously it, it has been good for him in spurts. Uh, it's not as consistent, and, and I always find it interesting with these with these relievers. Like they struggle. They're so weird with their command. Like Duvall landed his slider, his slider for a strike 70% of the time and his fastball less than 60% of the time. Yeah. Like it, it's just amazing to me that these guys command their, their breaking ball. Some of these relievers better than their fastball. That's so, really the missing piece for Doval. If Doval can land the cutter and the sinker at the same rate as the slider, I think he's in the same conversation with Emmanuel class A and some of the best in the game. I think so too. What's weird is for these guys, I think that throw as hard as they do in our max effort each time they throw sometimes throwing a breaking ball is easier for them because mm-hmm. the mental cue when throwing a breaking ball is I'm going to rip this shit out of my fingers as hard as I can. So they have that feeling versus like a fastball. You do have to feel it off your fingertips yep, a little yep. bit. And I think some guys are like, I'm going to throw the shit out of this. And then they do and they don't know where it's going. And it's like, okay, it. well, yeah. I'm going to throw the shit out of my slider. And that's the right way to throw a slider. No, I, I totally agree with that. And we, we've had a couple like player breakdowns recently. Dax Fulton uh, of the Marlins on the call up was talking about how like his, his he has two sliders and his his softer slider is kind of like that recalibrate, get it over and get his, you know, his body synced up again and his release point synced up again. It yeah. is a slider for him. Yeah. Uh, number 13, Brian Abreu with the Houston Astros. Ooh. You would think Abreu is one after yeah. his postseason. I mean, oh. his postseason was the stuff of legends. Sat 97 with the heater in 60 and a third innings during the regular season. He punched out 88, had a sub two ERA and a FIP at 2.12. Struck out 36% of batters during the 2022 season and opponents hit 206 against him. It's not just the postseason, folks. This guy might actually be a top 
six or seven reliever in the game, and he's not even close to being the closer for Houston. That's the most messed up part. <laughs> and, and, and that's why they were such a cheat code in the postseason is it just was like, oh, my gosh, wait, they still have a Brayu? You know, they still have this guy available. They still have this guy available. Right. Um, You, you can you can put this guy in the closer role, and I, and I think he'd be just fine. He's 25 years old as well. Uh, and, and clearly uh, just another similar, similar profile to some of the other guys we talked about. What I like about him, though, is it's four seamer with jump. It's slider that tunnels off of it. And then he'll also give you kind of another look with with a curveball in the mid 80s. Um, I, I don't even think we've seen the best of a And I do think he's going to be a, a top five or six reliever in baseball. Maybe maybe after this year, because what he did on the big stage, I know guys get hot, but, but something about that just seems sustainable. Yes. Mentioned the velo upper nineties, that curveball though, opponents hit one thirty. He threw it 40% of the time in two strike counts had a 51% whiff rate overall. So if you're throwing a pitch that gets a 51% whiff rate, you're throwing it half the time in two strike counts. Guess what? About half the time you're going to get a punch out. That's how we accrued 88 and 60 innings. Yeah, I mean it's, it's just nasty stuff. The, the I'm excited. He's he's one of the top of my list of guys I'm looking forward to watching this year, and I am interested to see if he uses that curveball more because, as you note, I I think it was arguably as nasty and and as effective as his slider. Yeah. Um. Do you think Abreu, Montero, and Presley is the best bullpen trio off the dome in baseball? Yes. Like I, who I, else would jump out? I mean, with what Karen Chak did you know, this past year, but I, I, I don't think, I don't think it matches up. I think that's, that's gotta be number one. It's insane. There's no break. Uh, you mentioned he's one of the guys you're most excited to watch guy. I think I'm most excited to watch in a bullpen this year is number 12. And that's Johan Duran with the Minnesota huh. twins. Duran. I mean, he's still pumping out a hundred mile an hour splinkers in spring training. He sat 100.9 miles an hour with his four seam fastball, 67 and two thirds innings. 89 punch out, 16 walks. He had a 186 ERA. Opponents hit 203 against him. I mean, he is obviously the splinker is going to make pitching ninja, and it's going to make pitching ninja every time he throws it. But he throws this high 80s power curve that opponents hit a buck 27 against and swung and missed 50% of the time. That two pitch mix, I'm so glad he's not a starting pitching prospect anymore. I, I like forget that he was like last is, year at the beginning of last year, he was a starter and I didn't like him that much as a starter. I really didn't. It's amazing how you can just like, not, not totally look the best as a starting pitching prospect. And then look like the best, you know, as, as a reliever, this is um, the Roldis Chapman thing. Yeah, it really is. And and it's, it's one of those things where you, if you can be this dominant as a reliever, there's no reason for you to try to be a, a three or a four starter. Right. And the command was always going to hold him back from that. But I think he, he's found a way to, to have that command down uh, at least in his one inning spurts now, because he didn't walk anybody. And that's the one unique trend here is like most of the guys we're going to talk about, they walked a lot of dudes, but if I, if I have it correct, what was it? 17 walks and um, in his 62 appearances last year, 16, like 16 walks. Yeah. Don't give him that extra free pass. I, I would, I would never want to do that to him. Uh, that's insane. Like that's insane. So obviously there's something that clicked command wise for him. And on top of that, he sits closer to one Oh one than he does to a hundred this, this spring training, by the way, small sample four appearances, averaging one Oh one point five on the fastball. 
that may lower as the season goes of on. Of course it will, but just like what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, are you created in a lab? Yeah, I'm not saying he ticked up, but I can promise you he's not ticking down. Right, a hundred percent. All right, number eleven, AJ Mincer, left-hander with the Atlanta Braves, and Mincer. He just got out every time he went out there, and it felt like he pitched every single game. 75 appearances last year. He had a 206 ERA and 70 innings, 94 punch outs, 15 walks. He sat 97 with the fastball. That Braves bullpen has had a lot of people come and go. Like Tyler Matzik's been hurt. Luke Jackson's a TJ guy who's now in San Francisco. Will Smith is a free agent. Kenley Jansen had a one-year cameo. They just grabbed Rysel Iglesias at last year's deadline. But the one consistent guy is Minter, and Minter's gotten better. He went from the third best in that World Series winning bullpen to maybe the best. And and him and Rysel Iglesias create this nasty one-two combo. It's one of the best fastballs in I think in baseball, really, like it, it's it's 96 to 98, but the shape and, and from his release point, I mean, to get th- more than 30 percent whiff on your heater um, to like that, that is ridiculous. And then another guy that it's it's fastball changeup. So the way his arsenal plays off of itself with the riding fastball with the diving changeup. I mean, forget it. You, you know, it, even even when you know the fastball's coming, you're going to miss under it. He, he's he's got it figured out. Run value of negative 12 on that four-seamer. Damn. That thing plays, man. And he's so available. That's another thing that I love about bullpen, guys. It feels like the fourth or fifth best reliever in the bullpen is the one that's always out there for your favorite team. I feel like for Braves fans, if they turn on the TV late innings, it's A.J. Minter out there. And it's good when that guy that is constantly on your TV is really good. Yeah, 100%. And again, one last thing, six feet tall. So riding fastball from six feet tall, low release point, and then the changeup off of that. Like this is exactly what you want to craft up for a fastball changeup guy. So he's got it. He's got this is a guy. Another one. I, volatility in this position. Not not worried about AJ Mentor being good year in year out. This is one of the relievers I would give a multi year deal to. Who is your bullpen arm uh, on the Marlins that is always on the mound when you turn the TV on? Oh gosh! Uh, it, last year it was it was Tanner Scott. Okay, yeah. For my White Sox, it was Jose Ruiz for like the last couple of years. Ruiz. Don Mattingly thought Tanner Scott was Josh Hader. He was he was in there every single spot. It was it was brutal, dude. Ruiz was good in 2021, but a five six in 2019, a four six in 2022. Like those are the years where I feel like I was watching Jose Ruiz all the time. All right, number ten. Felix Bautista sat 99 with his fastball, and opponents hit 202. But Felix Bautista's slider, opponents were, or splitter, sorry. Opponents were eight for 92 with 59 strikeouts against his splitter. That's why Felix Bautista of the Orioles is 10. And and you'd say just don't swing, but you can't because it looks like the fastball until the last second because this guy is 6'8 and releases it what feels like probably 45 feet from the plate. That's what makes him so good because his splitter is that it is like, just don't swing territory. Like it's so good. You're better off just not swinging. Uh, But the problem is it looks like his fastball. So uh, when you have a fastball at 99 and it's 11 miles an hour of separation and you can't tell the difference between the two that, that might be, that's up there with best reliever pitches. Felix Bautista split fingers got to be up there, right? For, 
most dominant reliever pitches because I mean you you just read the numbers you got guys hitting below a hundred and, and the expected the expected batting average is actually it's lower. lower. It seven batting average, 082 expected batting average. That's that's just screwed up. Again, I tell you, eight for ninety two with fifty nine strikeouts against that pitch. So. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, number nine, another brave, Rysel Iglesias. Iglesias needed to change his scenery after that extension, which was really weird that the Angels jumped ship on him right away. Yeah, but, that is bizarre, given that they're like trying to be good this year. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> do you know why? Like, were they just mailing it in and seeing whatever they could get there? I guess it was like it's it's really interesting. That was that where our guy Tucker Davidson went. That over? was the Tucker Davidson trade. Okay. All right. Well, we love it then. Um, our guy Tucker Davidson, also another podcast for you to go check out. I know him and the Peter just talked to, to the uh, yeah the arm barn. They just talked to Patrick Sandoval, who's pitching in the World Baseball Classic against Team I, USA. So, I, yeah, that was a weird one. It really was because while he was expensive, maybe they wanted to clear up some money to to just reinvest and do other things, but. It just feels like this guy, you can, again, just kind of count on him. He's another one of those. Right? He got the long-term deal. Maybe didn't play to pitch to the way that you would have hoped with a 3-1-0 ERA. But, like, that's kind of the bottom for him. Like, you, you know that he's going to be a reliable back-end guy for you, I think, for a very long time. Like, that's just what he is and what he's been. And he got so good right away. 28 appearances with the Braves. He had a .34 ERA. 26 in the third innings, one earned run. I mean, dude, like he was an immediate upgrade over Kenley Jansen. And I think that Alex Anthopoulos saw blood in the water in Anaheim and said, I'm, I'm going to go grab this guy because I know that I have him on a longer deal. Yes, he's mid 90s with a fastball. But again, he's got some play like you feel OK giving him that multi-year deal. Like you're saying, he's got a four pitch mix in the closer role. Yeah. And which is great because, you know, these guys are so finicky relievers where like some days, like just one of their pitches isn't working for them. And and when it, when they have two pitches, it's usually a, a disaster. He right. can go to a bunch of different things. And that's why I think he's kind of impervious to that reliever slump that, that we see a lot of other guys kind of with go through. The other thing though, with Rizel Iglesias is when they made the trade, we said, okay, I can see them just wanting to get out from under that contract because it's a lot for a reliever and they want to potentially pay Otani. They want to make other moves, try to make the team better overall. Right. What's interesting now is you see the deals that these other relievers are getting and Rizal Iglesias' contract, which was like basically like a jaw-dropping you know, signing at the time in terms of what he got. Four for 58. Kind of paced the reliever market. Very quickly was kind of irrelevant price-wise. We we're seeing a lot of other less proven guys, less established guys get, get the same or more in the market over the last year. Yeah. All right. Number eight is Liam Hendricks. Uh, Hendricks... Of course, he's not going to throw this year, but you got to slap him on this list, man. And uh, did, did they say he's not throwing this year? I, I thought he said that sure. there was going to make an effort to. I I wouldn't count that guy out of anything, right? <laughs> you know, right. but I mean, he is dealing with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which like is, is a Correct. really hard thing to get back into game shape from. And you know, I wouldn't blame him at all if he took this no. year off. No, absolutely not. I I just from the stand in the aisle of just like I I wouldn't doubt this guy just 
to overcoming it. But that that said, the expectation I think is fair to say he may not pitch this year, and uh, obviously a lot more more important things at stake right now. Yes, hundred percent. And like obviously we we've talked about this before, but Liam Hendricks we know is going to fight like hell. We know is going to get back on the mound at some yes. point very soon. Yes. Um, when he's on the mound, he's one of the best closers in baseball. And even an underwhelming year a year ago. Saw him rip an ERA under three, a FIP yeah. under two seven. He sat 98 with a fastball. He's one of the more consistent closers in the game. And again, this is a guy that mixes enough pitches to survive on an off night, whether it be the fastball, whether it be the curveball. 85 punchies and 57 and two thirds. Cool. He, he just gets outs, dude. And, um, you know, I, I do think that. Last year, I I believe it was a little bit of just a contagion of of you know bad performance across the team because you look at a lot of the the underlying metrics too, they're kind of right on par with with everything else we've seen from him. You know, yeah. over over his career, uh, you look at the pitch data, the pitch numbers, you look at the expected numbers on on batted balls, everything like that. Like he probably pitched well enough to have an even better ERA and he had a two, eight, one. So uh, this guy is another one, 34 years old. And I obviously he's going to be, you know, fighting through a lot of different things, but, but when he gets back, assuming that, you know, his body holds up just fine and everything like that, like there's another one that I think he's going to age like fine wine in terms of, of what he does on the mound. Um, yes. He's a high velocity guy, but like you mentioned, the pitch mix, the two breaking balls, I think he'll be effective until he doesn't want to pitch anymore. I really do. Yes. So Rysel, um Liam Hendricks, and Ryan Presley, who's number seven, they all kind of fit the similar mold of being three or more pitch closers. And before we dive into Presley, just real quick, I had this thought about Alex Reyes when I heard that, because I think that's what everybody was dreaming on with Alex Reyes, right? When he made that move to the bullpen, when he was an all-star for that front half with St. Louis, we saw a guy with a four or five pitch mix in the closer role. Yeah. And we had the same conversation about him that we do Liam Hendricks and Rysel and Ryan Presley where, okay, say the slider isn't working for Ryan Presley. He's still got fastball curveball. That was Alex Reyes. So if he can unlock that, I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking about that kind of guy as well. We have no idea if he's ever going to unlock that because he's just been so injury. Just, it's just health. Yeah. It's just health. Number seven is Ryan Presley with the Astros. He is the closer. He is deserving of that closer role. Sub three ERA and 50 appearances, 65 punch outs, 13 walks and 48 in the third innings. Struck out 36% of hitters. Opponents hit a buck 78. Against his slider, opponents hit 182. By the way, he also has a 2,500 RPM fastball. And by the way, he has a 3,300 RPM curveball. Yeah, that is vomit inducing. Yeah. That that that's insane. That, that that's up there with like I don't know if I've seen many other pitches with more RPM. Like thirty three hundred's got to be top one or two in I baseball so. in that in that department. And, and it's just nasty. It's just absolutely nasty. What what's interesting too is is while the fastball is high spin, doesn't have quite the shape that you'd like to see. And that's where it's good that he has you know at least three pitches. He'll mix in a change up here and there, but it really has three pitches that he can go to because. The fastball, when he's not spotting, if he's missing a little bit more over the middle, like that pitch does get hard, hit hard sometimes. Like it did get hit pretty hard last year, but he can go to two breaking balls. He has so much confidence in them and, and lands them for a strike so often. Presley's been a guy that all of a sudden you look at his body at work and it's like, man, 
he's been good every single year. 2020 was like one outlier where he had a three, four, three in 2020. I, I always throw that out the window regardless. Yeah. He hasn't had a bad year since 2017. Like he has been good as a reliever for five plus straight years. Like that's pretty impressive. I'm waiting on pitcher list to load. Cause I want to tell you where he stacks up in terms of average curveball spin. But yeah, I would, been- I would bet a lot of money just based on, on what I would assume to know that, that he's one or two. Yes. Like I, this guy throws, this guy maybe, spins the shit out of it. Yeah. Um, all right. So if that ever loads, we'll revisit. Andres Munoz is number six with Seattle. He throws fuzz. <laughs> there were two qualified relievers that sat a hundred or better with their fastball. Yoan Duran and Andres Munoz. Yeah. I mean, and this is a two pitch guy, right? <laughs> this is, yeah. this is slider 60% of the time, fastball 40% of the time. Um, and it doesn't matter. Because the slider is that good. This, his slider's got to be up there as, as one of the best, right? I mean, in terms of, of run value, in terms of uh, of just unhittable uh, it, it just unhittable characteristics. The other side of it that's really remarkable to me is, is when you have a pitch that's that nasty, how confident and consistent he is with it. Landed it for a strike 71% of the time. That, that's just absolutely spectacular. Uh, you, you just don't see that. So to have the nastiness, but also the just the feel for it, that's something you can't really teach. <laughs> that's just a, a dangerous blend. Of pitchers that threw a curveball, going back to Presley, of pitchers that threw a curveball 50 or more times last year, Presley was number two. Yeah, Dustin May was the only other one with a 3,300 RPM curveball. There you go. I, I would have put a lot on that. <laughs> Dustin May is a gift from God. Yes. Yeah, man. I Munoz is if you could inject testosterone into a pitcher, I think he's the only one that could hit 110. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention he also averages 100 miles per hour with his fastball. Yeah. I, a, oh, oh, by the way. But the slider slept on. It's I think it's one of the best sliders in, in major league baseball, point blank. Like to to land that pitch for a strike 71% of the time is insane because it is absolutely disgusting. Opponents had an OPS of 340 against it. Dude. Dude. That's that's a joke. So that's a joke. The other number that jumps out to me, like obviously we can talk about the 51% whiff rate, the 126 batting average against opponent exit velo against that slider, 82 miles an hour. Do you know how many massive rollovers have to go into that equation yes. to pump out an 82 mile an hour average exit velo. That's actually insane. You and I could put up an 82 mile per hour average exit off a tee. Yes. <laughs> like legitimately off a tee that that's wild. Um, the last thing I'll say on Munoz is here's the slash line. 126, 169, 173. Dude. So like if the hitters against Munoz's slider are again, like basically you or me, like yeah. I mean, that's just insane. Like that's that's actually the one of the worst class lines I've seen against a pitch that is thrown a lot, right? Like that's the other thing. He uses it a shitload. 65% of the time. Do you think you could hit 126 if you were given like 600 no. plate appearances? Hell no. Anyone who says that's lying. No way. I agree. I agree. No, no way. 600 plate appearances, I think I'll 
run into a base hit here or there. Like some really shitty pitchers have done that. How many but hits like, do you get in 600 plate appearances? In that, that's, that's a tough one. That one, I, I, I say five. I'd five say like, yeah, me. five. Like I would, you know, you cheat for a fastball guys thinking, Oh, this will be easy. I'm going to blow a 95 by him. You cheat and get the barrel out there. You'll sneak a couple, but yeah, a, a few, a few. Five anyone that says more noobs. than that. Ever, <laughs> yeah. Like anyone who says more than that, like, fuck you. No, you know, you will. I'm no, with you. Vibe is hater. Uh, Josh hater had a bad year. He had an ERA over five, but guess what? He's still like, Maybe on a Hall of Fame path. He's on the Craig Kimbrell trajectory. Uh, 56 appearances. He still struck out 81 in 50 innings. He couldn't command for the life of him at points. And there were some blow up, blow up outings. But when you sit 97 with as much run as he gets and you strike out 37% of hitters and you have the legacy that Josh Hader has, he's going to be top five. Was the playoffs enough for you to say, hey, he's back? No, because he was able to rest for a lot longer than he can in the regular. Yeah, season. what what the what what is the deal with that? The, like this guy's throwing one inning, and when he doesn't have a full day to just like rest his body, he can't pitch. Apparently, like, I, I was not buying that for one second until like you just couldn't deny it anymore. You like couldn't deny that, that's the thing. I was like, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. And then all of a sudden they show you the numbers. It's like, oh my God, this guy needs his TV time like Trump. <laughs> and, and, and dude, you look at even the velocity. Like I, I was looking game log, like even going back to, to the postseason here, uh, the, the days that he did throw the next the next day, he legitimately was like two ticks down. It's velocity. insane. It's, it's insane. like 99 to 97. That is the alarming part. And that is the, the interesting part. But now that we know this, now that the Padres know this, you know they're going to maneuver around that. Um, I don't think that they really knew that that was a thing when he was with the Brewers. But I also think that was part of the reason why the Brewers wanted to move off of him. It's like, th- this guy's really finicky here. Um, that's my question is like, does that make him not a top five reliever? Because like, he, he he's not, your availability is important here. Yes, but he's Josh, is. he's Josh Hader. And in his final two outings in the postseason, <laughs> struck out the side. Like back to back times, um, and, and and just looked great. And I will say that he did pitch on the second day and struck out the side there. I think if he learns how to pitch at ninety seven, which he can do, I think he was throwing ninety seven, trying to overthrow and compensate, and then we saw the command go wayward. Yeah, he's still a top five reliever. And, and for me, the postseason was enough though to say this guy still has it. I yes. do think he needs to answer the question that you brought up in the rebuttal there, though. Yes. Well, and this is the narrative play here, right? What was what was my question there in the rebuttal? No, just kind of like, can he throw every day? And maybe he didn't even pose it as a question, but it's like it is the question. Can he throw back to back? Like, right. That that is the the one answer we didn't get from the postseason. What we did get from the postseason, I think, was this guy's not cooked. He can still pitch with the best of them when he's right. But the question that you you kind of bring up here is, is this guy really not going to be able to throw back to back? Like, right. is he really not going to be able to do that? I'm not going to ask him to do it every week, but like you got to do it every other week as, as a major league closer or and a high leverage reliever. And you're asking him to be a bullpen ace. Like bullpen aces have to do that. They have to be available when their number is He's called. 28. 
Again, yes, he's 28 years old. He can't be going through the aging process right now where he needs more time. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, Hater, I think when everything was was sunshine and rainbows in Milwaukee, it was, okay, Hater's closing today. Devin's going to close tomorrow. And yeah. like, that's a really great thing to have. But when you have to go Devin eight, Hater nine, and then the next day Devin goes one, two, three in the eighth, you say, okay, hater, ninth is yours, and he starts panicking. That's worrisome. So yes. I'm I'm worried in his I'm worried about his ability to be a bullpen ace moving forward. But yes, we saw the flashes that Josh Hader is still in there, coupled with the narrative that we let take over this list. I'm sure when we were ranking Hader, we we're like, okay, you know what? Yes, he's still top five. Yeah, I was gonna say because like I, I would probably I'd consider some of these other guys that we just mentioned over Hater for next dude, year, but may, maybe that's silly. Maybe dude, that's silly. I here's a take. I'd consider some of the guys right below Degrom on our starting pitcher list ahead of Degrom because what has he proven in terms of availability? Yeah, nothing but since I, 2020. This was like the old head um, play here, where it was just like he's just been too good for too oh, long. We got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Total old head play. So I probably had something to do with that. And I'm just forgetting yes, right yes. now. This is yes. <laughs> Ryan Helsley is four with the Cardinals. And, and I'm taking Helsley over Hader next year with the snap of a finger. Friend of the pod, Ryan Helsley. Yes. At 99.7 by 0.3 ticks. He missed off of the uh, Munoz and Duran club with sitting 100. But he pretty much sat 100 if you are a rounder. 94 punch outs and 64 innings. That's a 39% K rate. Opponents hit under 130 against him. He's diesel. He's that's it. Like he literally is diesel. Um, that was a, a great interview for those who are just checking us out now. Go go check out that interview with Housley from this offseason, not too many episodes back. Um it, this guy figured something out, man. He's just gonna go right at you and overpower you with the fastball slider. Uh and also mixes in a curve, right? So um I'm excited to see how he how he you know tries to replicate last year because obviously last year was was special. Uh, I want to see how he replicates that, but I you know I think he will. Who you want in the ninth, Gallegos or Helsley? Helsley, Helsley, and I know he he didn't have you know was it the postseason that wasn't as great for him? I think so. But but you know I I'm I'm not worried about it. No, I saw Gallegos was what closing games for Mexico right yeah, now. Yeah, I just think Helsley. Hel- I don't know. I I have a little bit more faith in Helsley's command overall. I, I think I, just I have do. more faith in 103 too. Yeah, I do. That's that's easy to have faith in. Yeah, and if you are super jazzed up in the ninth inning, and you know that you're getting 103 from Helsley, I I feel great about that. Uh, maybe I I think the second best two pitch combo in any bullpen in baseball is Devin Williams. And he's only behind Edwin Diaz, who we will still get to sneak peek, you know, go take a look at where Edwin Diaz is. We're going to talk about him in a minute, but Devin Williams is number three with the Milwaukee Brewers. Devin, the changeup is obviously what is the viral pitch. It's what everybody loves, but the way the fastball works off the changeup is maybe one of the more underrated things in any bullpen in baseball. Changeup is great, right? 50% whiff rate opponents slug 242 against it. But the fastball off of that, opponents were 7 for 78 against the fastball with 44 punch outs and a 128 slug against it. The fastball is good shape-wise, but it's 94 on average. He sat 94 with his fastball and opponents slug 128. How do you do that? Well, you do that by having an elite changeup and working off of that pitch. 
that that changeup made the fastball so much better. And this Devin Williams was a starter, right? And, and during COVID, I believe, in going into that that time, I think he was playing with the changeup, and, and that's kind of how he found it uh, to to get it to the to where it is now. If you go back to like way back in his minor league, early minor league career as a starter, his fastball kind of got crushed at points, and then. You know, I, I think finding that change of also seeing his fastball tick up in velocity and he's an 11 mile per hour separation guy, sometimes 12, 13, because the changeup is basically like three pitches. It can be a, almost a straight change. It can be a circle change and then it can be a goddamn screwball. And, and that's what's so amazing about him is he can manipulate that change up into three different pitches. So even if you're sitting change, you might not be sitting the right change. You might be sitting the the 70 you know, you might be sitting the 82 mile per hour traditional change up that whole throw, uh, which is not even traditional. And yeah. he instead throws you the 78 mile an hour screwball. You know, like that's what makes him so damn good. And then the fastball looks like it's 99 off of that. His change up, I would venture to say, is probably my favorite pitch to watch of all relievers I think right now just because of of the finesse that comes with it too and the creativity based on how much pressure he puts on that in on that pointer finger. That determines basically what version of the changeup you're going to get. That's just a really cool thing to me. And I always like to see how how much he likes to manipulate it and how he can just make make the, the hitter's brain a pretzel. Yeah, it's that and, and Kevin Copps's cutter, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, it's that and Class A's cutter. I, yeah. I think that are my two favorites. And Class A, it's just a bowling ball. But Devin's changeup is certainly there. Number two is Class A, the closer for the Cleveland Guardians. He had a 136 ERA and a sub 250. 72 and two thirds innings. He doesn't strike out as many guys as you would think. 77 punch outs and 72 and two thirds, but doesn't walk anybody. 10 walks in 72 innings. Uh, he sat 99.5 with his cutter. We've seen it run up to 102. The thing about his cutter, it's insane. It, it sits 100. Opponents slug 245 against it. I want to talk about the average launch angle against no, his cutter. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going to get into. Negative three degree average launch angle against his cutter. Yeah. Much like Framber Valdez's best offerings, you are not hitting it in the air. So what I'm glad you brought this up because you mentioned don't strike, doesn't strike out guys as much as he should. Uh, or or as much as you'd expect. I don't say should, he shouldn't do anything. What he should do what he is doing. Um the, the the thing with him is it's a gyro cutter. So for those listening, you probably think, oh, like cutter is something that cuts horizontally. Not always. It, these types of cutters, a gyro cutter cuts downward. So it's basically has a lot of similarities with like a sinker, but it looks different. It's thrown different. Um, and it breaks later, I think, depending on the sinker, but generally speaking, breaks later. That is what makes Class A so good is because not only is it is it just hard to hit, period, and he still does get the strikeouts, even if you're on it, you're missing over it. You did the negative launch angle, like you mentioned, it is remarkable and the way he commands it. So what was it, 63% ground ball rate last year? Yes. yes. Like that, so on top of that, you're getting all of these ground balls. You combine the high whiffs still, like it's still above average, but 29% strikeout rate still above average. It's it's really amazing to to see that what this guy's figured out and the command is is fantastic. Yes, like he he could probably be a starter. <laughs> it's just like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You got the one of the best closers in the game, the number two reliever in the game. But this guy came up as a starter yeah. and probably could be a starter. Like I, I really do believe that. I think the arsenal doesn't work as well, like second time through the lineup, you know. But still, 
this guy could probably find ways to get out. It's like Graham Ashcraft. That's why I think ultimately they may try him in the, in, in the bullpen, because if he doesn't really succeed as a starter, he also is a gyro cutter guy with the reds. Yeah. He could do something similar to this. I think in the bullpen, if the command can get there, that's what makes class. A, I think number two though, we've got it. We talked about a bunch of guys with freak stuff. I don't think class a has better stuff than really any of those guys. It's it's the command. And I think he's got the best command of any of the guys we talked about on this whole list. So before we get to Diaz, uh, Class A, I don't think Hayter is going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't think what Kimbrell has done over the last couple of years makes him a Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't think Diaz is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think that the next Hall of Fame reliever is this 24-year-old Emmanuel Class A. Because I don't think that there's going to be a year where you pencil him in like, oh, he's a lock to have an ERA at three. I think he's year after year going to be ERA under two for two reasons. Number one, he doesn't walk anybody. Walks blow up innings immediately. Yep. Number two, the big ball's never a problem for him because of the ground ball rate. So what do you have if you're not hitting home runs and you're not walking anybody? You're not getting walked against a closer and you're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. You have a couple of ground balls, you have a strikeout, and it's good night. Class A is the closest thing to good night that we have in baseball, I think. Because Diaz, while he was amazing last year, he's had home run problems in his career. Class A is never going to have those home run problems. 100%. And, and it's just, I feel like there's never going to be a night where he doesn't have his pitches because he commands the shit out of them. Yes. Um, lands both of them. He just threw pitches for a strike 75% of the time last year. Remarkable. Uh, and on top of that, the way that the gyro works off of the slider because it has that late bite and the slider has that late bite. So you don't know if it's breaking downwards or breaking horizontally. And they're both hard. The slider is at 90, you know, 92 miles an hour, right? Like yeah. it's a hard slider. 50% chase rate on his slider, despite throwing it in the strike zone or around the strike zone very often. Like that's disgusting. He's he's going to be good for a long time. I agree. If I could bet on one guy to be a Hall of Fame reliever, it would be class A. Number one is Edwin Diaz with the Mets. Uh, he just put up the best reliever season that we've had probably since Mariano Rivera. Uh, Craig Kimbrell may like a word, but 62 innings, 118 strikeouts, 18 walks, uh, a 131 ERA, a 0 0.90 FIP, K rate at 50.2%. Nobody can do this. He somehow did this. And the fact that he did this for the Mets in New York, the first year that the Mets are great again, is I, I thought that that was the momentum boost that he needed to continue this season that he had. 17 oh. Ks per nine. Holy fuck. That's that's insane. 50% K rate. Every other batter that he faced struck out. Think about that. You're up, I'm on deck. One of us is guaranteed to strike out, essentially, <laughs> like statistically speaking. Obviously, that's not how baseball works, but like that is that is ridiculous. And if he somehow walks both of us, he's striking the next two out. Right. Like that that is what made him crazy. The one thing that's always held Diaz back is the command, right? Like that that was it, and he's gotten that good enough, especially with the slider, to where he can be so dominant. And this stuff is just so silly. Um, 32% swinging strike rate on his slider, which he threw nearly 60% of the time. I don't know if I've ever seen a swinging strike rate that high on a pitch. Ever. Ever. That's a, It's insane. 
dude. I so his thing, Devin Williams was the second best strikeout artist in baseball at 40%. He's 10% better than everybody else in the strikeout department. 10%, 40% to 50% is like as crazy a jump as you will find if you go back 20 years on fan graphs on baseball reference. You will not find a larger discrepancy there. An OPS against the slider opponents at an OPS below 300. You might as well just, just pack it in. He was good night last year. A hundred percent. I mean, going to the games because we probably went to more Mets games than anywhere else. Just being in New York. It really was like when Timmy trumpets went on, it was, it was over. And I think that's why Timmy trumpets got so big. Like, yes, it sounded great. And it was super cool. Like it was, it was fun, but it was, if they were doing that for a guy that you, even if it was a good reliever, that you didn't for sure know that the game was over. People aren't dancing around and having the time in their life. Everyone's dancing around because the game's already over. Like yeah. that, that might as well be the victory song. Like, and that's what it was, you know, and, and, and that's what was so amazing. So I'm I'm interested to see if he can duplicate it. I think he will because his only, his only challenge is going to be himself with command. No one's hitting that shit. I think it's very and clear. I, no one's hitting that shit. And I bet, and I've never talked to Edwin Diaz about this. I've never like asked anybody that has talked to Edwin Diaz about this, but I bet that he fought confidence issues previously in his career because he was so good one year in Seattle. And then he was so bad the next year. Like it's been a constant pendulum swing. That's the kind of year that you don't suck after. And, and attached to an infamous trade too, you know, there's just so much going on there. And and he was, he was, it was a weird trade and he was literally the man in Seattle. I think people forget like that guy's relief. If, if this wasn't the best reliever season we've seen in a while, that might have been the best reliever season we, we've seen in a long time. This is second tour for him as best reliever in baseball. Yes, that's the thing. He's not a one-hit wonder. And, and I think that's an important reminder. Like, what he did in Seattle was something we we hadn't really seen in a while either. Yep. All right. Uh, number 15, Evan Phillips with the Dodgers. Number 14, Camilo Doval with the Giants. Brian Abreu with the Astros was 13. Yoan Duran with the Twins, 12. Uh, A.J. Minter, left-hander with the Braves, is 11. Felix Bautista, the Orioles, 10. Number nine, Rysel Iglesias with the Braves. Number eight, Liam Hendricks with the White Sox. Number seven, Ryan Presley with the Astros. Number six, Andres Munoz with the Mariners. Number five, Josh Hader with the Padres. Number four, Ryan Helsley with the Cardinals. Number three, Devin Williams with the Brewers. Number two, Emmanuel Classe with the Guardians. And number one, Edwin Diaz with the New York Mets. So that's our list. Uh, Every link you need in the episode description. Again, we're linking just college hoops in the episode description. Go get help filling out your bracket. For the love of God, these guys are really good at this. Yes. Anything else? That's all from me. Looking forward to the World Baseball Classic coverage and a lot of stuff on the call-up as well as we kind of get you primed for the season and, and let you know a little bit about who's got a shot to maybe make it out of camp. We're getting very close to top 100 time as well. I've been spending a lot of time doing that. Amen, brother. All right, Peter and I, top 10 bullpens tomorrow.